Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us today for ASHP's Practice Journeys podcast. This podcast invites members to share their stories about their professional path, lessons learned, and how their experiences shaped who and where they are today. My name is Tyler Vest, and I am the Pharmacy Manager of Automated Dispensing Cabinetry and Controlled Substances at Duke University Hospital in Durham, North Carolina. I will be your host today for the ASHP Practice Journeys podcast. With me today are Kelly Mush, Site Manager of Pharmacy Services at Ohio Health Grant Medical Center in Columbus, Ohio, Carolyn McGee, Medical Surgical ICU Clinical Pharmacy Specialist at the Medical University of South Carolina in Charleston, South Carolina, Megan Adelman, Family Medicine Clinical Pharmacy Specialist at Akron General Cleveland Clinic in Akron, Ohio, Claire Latiolis, Clinical Assistant Professor at the University of Texas at Austin College Pharmacy. Let's get started talking about today's topic, career advice when transitioning from student to new practitioner. Before we get started, I want to let the audience know that all members on the podcast today have significant experience in the New Practitioners Forum as an advisory group member and an advisory group chair and have held some sort of role in the New Practitioners Forum Executive Committee. So our first question today is how can I best prepare for the transition from student to resident? Claire, why don't you get us started? Yeah, thank you, Tyler. Happy to be here today and thank you for that introduction. I think this is one of the biggest things we think about when we're a student, um, maybe we go through match day, right? And we match to that residency program. And now we think, how, how do I do that transition? It's scary. We may be moving to different cities across the country. So I personally moved from Indiana to Texas. I didn't know anyone. Uh, moving to Houston was a big city. And so it was a huge transition for me, not only to not have my support system, but to be starting a whole new um, program that was very intimidating. So one of the main things um, that I learned and the piece of advice that I tell my students now is to keep an open mind and trust in your preceptors and mentors. Um, so trust that the match puts you where you're meant to be and trust in those mentors. So those mentors or preceptors have been training residents and students and they know what they're doing. They know what they're teaching. So trust that what they're teaching you or the experiences that they're giving you are going to help as a resident and help you grow as a pharmacist. But another thing I like to say also is that your residency, you may find things that you are interested in outside of your residency or outside of the typical experience that a resident has. And so one thing that a mentor told me was to take responsibility for your own education. And what they meant by that was, if there are additional things that you have an interest in, this is the time to do it. Ask about it. Can you add something to your residency? Could you do a longitudinal rotation in something um, so if you find that interest or that niche and you want to add things, just make sure you ask and you voice those opinions. Another area that really helped me is joining a group outside of your residency. So whether that's a sports league, a church Bible study, a book club, whatever that may be, that is always a good release because you're going to have your co-residents, but it's good to have a good release and to meet people outside of your residency program that maybe talk about things other than pharmacy um, and make sure that you plan regular meetups for that. Now, Megan, I know you also moved to a new city, so what are your thoughts on this transition? Thanks, Claire, for that introduction. I, I definitely agree with you. Similar, I didn't go quite as far as Texas, but I did make the move from Ohio to North Carolina, and I think your thoughts on establishing a mentor definitely are worthwhile. The other thing I found to be helpful was to talk to the outgoing residents or potentially a PGY2, because they're going to give you a lot of insight, not only about the program, 
but how the law exam is, if you're not familiar with the state's laws, any ideas for housing, because you pretty much have to establish residence pretty quickly, and then really good things to do in the area because you have to have that good work-life balance. Additionally, if you're making or moving to a new state, something to think about is that the law exam is going to be a little bit different. You studied the laws that were in your state. So if you're moving, make sure that you start the licensure process pretty early. Ask contacts at the institution for study materials. That might be residents, that might be the preceptors. And make sure you're getting ready to study and see if there's maybe even a local course and that might be helpful. It's best to have as much done before starting the new position to prevent additional stress or complications. I know I was studying for the law exam right in the middle of moving to and that wasn't exactly the most ideal situation. Additionally, the last kind of thing I was thinking about was if hopefully we've got some earlier year students, so like P1s on the on this podcast to P3s, consider having a small reserve of funds, um, especially because the first paycheck coming in is not gonna be until about mid-July. So this can help alleviate stress in the long run by having a little bit of reserve to sit back on. Hey, Megan and Claire, thanks for uh, sharing your your advice and uh, your perspectives on these topics. I definitely agree with a lot of the points you said. I think mentors with any transition can be helpful with uh, providing advice and perspectives as you transition to um, new places in your careers. So apart from, you know, the transition from student to resident, we'll go into our next question that kind of focuses similar on that is, what are some factors to consider when you're searching for a job? So uh, Claire, we'll go ahead and uh, turn it back to you. Thanks, Tyler. Um, Awesome. So this is another area that can cause a lot of angst, right? So we are going through residency and then, oh no, we have to start looking for a job. And so when we match into a program for residency, we're like, that's where we go, right? And the match decides where we go. Um, But when you're searching for jobs, you may have multiple options. Hopefully you do have multiple options, but as far as those opportunities come in, it's not necessarily all at one time point. So you have to make some decisions on what you're looking for when you're looking for a job. So one of the big things for me was during residency, I knew I was interested in academia. So I was looking for academia positions. Um, But one thing I really wanted to make sure that I had was um, a culture of mentorship and supportive colleagues, because I knew that in residency, you are used to having a preceptor, right? So every four weeks, you change different preceptors, you have research mentors. And I knew in academia, that was a big thing, right? I have to continue my research. Um, I have to learn to be a teacher have to continue in the service aspect and being involved in professional organizations. And I didn't want that to just drop off or to be difficult. So I wanted to find a place where I knew that there was a culture of that mentorship that I was going to have people that have been in the field for a long time be able to mentor me. And that is something that you can kind of find out from asking your different peers or your colleagues networking. You can tell what the culture looks like on your interviews, um, asking people that work there. Another thing you want to think about is the leadership of whatever institution you're going to, whether that's a hospital or a college of pharmacy or whatever that may be, is you kind of want to gauge what is the relationship between the leader and the people working for the leader. Now, don't get me wrong, you're going to have pros and cons with leaders everywhere, right? You're always, the grass is always greener. So there's always going to be something that maybe you don't like or something that you really do like, but you just want to observe what does the relationship look like between that leader and the colleagues Um, that are there? Are they able to manage up, down, and across? And does that seem like something that the people working there are happy with? So with that, Caroline, I know you also have some great ideas on this. What are your thoughts? Yeah, thanks, Claire. I totally agree with you. I think mentorship and leadership are some really important aspects to look for when searching for a job. For me, I really had to figure out what my non-negotiables were. What am I not willing to compromise on? 
And you also really have to think about what your career goals are and figuring out which organization best fits those career goals. Your job search can also look very different depending on what stage in your career you are. For me, when I was searching for a residency, I knew that what I wanted in a residency program is to be at a place that was going to challenge me and mold me into an independent and clinically strong practitioners. Those were my non-negotiables. But then when I was looking for my post-residency job, you know, that task seemed really daunting. With residency, you know, my mindset was I can do anything for a year or I can do anything for two years. But looking for a job seemed so much more, it seemed like such a bigger responsibility. So my non-negotiables are the four most important things to me were the patient population that I was going to be taking care of. I knew that I really enjoyed taking care of medically, critically ill patients. Opportunities to precept. That's something that I'm really passionate about, teaching residents and students. Opportunities for research. And then similarly to Claire, mentorship. Having some other people that were going to help me further my career. So I picked the job that best fit those priorities. Next, I would also advise everyone to seek advice from others, but at the end of the day, you have to realize that you're the only one that can make that decision, and you're the only one that really knows what's going to make you happy. Tyler, what do you think? Yeah, I think that uh, Claire and Carolyn, you both shared some great points. I think it's really important to know what you want and what you don't want in a job, so when you're, when you're searching, you can factor all those variables out. Additionally, I think it's really important to look at culture and the strategy of the department and how the, how that complements what you're looking for. So similarly to thinking about what, what you're looking for when searching for jobs, one of the next questions is that we'll focus on is, is maybe something that goes along with the job process. So our question is, how do I negotiate my salary? Should I even do so considering the competitive market? So we'll go back to Megan to get her thoughts on this question. I think this is a really great question and can definitely be something difficult prior to a resident as you don't really have to do any negotiation. One of the first things people usually think about is salary. However, this is just the direct first thing that usually comes to mind. When you're thinking about salary, be sure you do your homework after receiving an offer. And this is typically dependent on both the position as well as the location. For example, my first job was faculty position, so I used the AACP website to determine if this was a competitive offer. If you're planning on asking for an increase in salary, make sure you're able to justify the reason why. This might be that you have additional training or you had a particular background or skill set needed um, and you're ready to go in and start the position as it is. If you're more in the private sector or in the community, you may consider asking about bonuses if meeting certain standards within that position. Another thing to think about is that remembering that negotiations expand past just salary. There's much larger pieces and parts of the puzzle to consider. For example, you could ask for a professional stipend for travel, additional money for continuing education, licensure, and certification. And that can be large money savers and occur annually, which you'll see year in and year out when you stay with the position. Other soft dollars can include increases in the amount of future travel and conferences, as well as benefits and PTO. My final thought would be, make sure you determine who you're talking to. Is this human resources? Is this your future boss? This can help better understand why some of the return communication may be delayed. Kelly, I know that within the management position, you might also have some great thoughts. Thanks, Megan. You really kicked us off to a great start here. Remember when you get that offer to be excited. You got the job. Soak it in. 
Then take time to clarify with the recruiter or the manager what the full details of the offer include. It is okay to ask what factors were considered in developing the offer. This will clue you in to maybe years of experience that you're being granted for your residency training, as an example. The recruiter may be able to clarify right then and there which things are not negotiable, like paid time off. Then ask the recruiter or manager to consider the offer with your family and provide a reasonable time to follow up. A reasonable time would be a few days, no more than one week. Remember that if you decide this is not the right offer or position for you, that they have other candidates that they're wanting to move on to as well. During that time frame, while you're considering your final decision, think through all the points that Megan reviewed and potentially bounce your thought process off a mentor or someone in a close circle that you trust. When you come back to the recruiter, you'll have a solid counter negotiation, such as requesting an increase in salary, um, somewhere in the three to 5% is usually reasonable, um, or, or and adding in those other fringe benefits that we discussed. Usually when the recruiter cannot budge on the salary, They may even offer up other items like a later start date or a one-time relocation bonus, um, which may typically be up to a few thousand dollars. Remember, the worst thing that the recruiter can say to you is no, and that's a no to your reasonable request. The employer wants you or else they wouldn't have offered you the job. Tyler, as a manager, do you have any additional insight here? Yeah, I I agree with a lot that you said, Kelly and Megan. I think that one of the things that you want to look at is is maybe if you cannot uh, negotiate salary, there's a lot of soft dollars that can be negotiated. You know, you guys brought up some of these, but you talk about, you know, travel and conference reimbursement. Maybe you're looking at, you know, that those uh, one-time salary adjustments to cover uh, moving expenses or licensure costs. And or uh, maybe you're looking at how the organization um, covers board certification. I think there's a lot of things inside of a job salary that can be negotiated that might help offset um, expenses you may not think of at the time. Apart from uh, talking about, you know, the job search and and negotiating salary, we're going to transition a little bit back more to talking about um, stages of your career. So our next question is, how can I best prepare for the transition from resident to career? And uh, Carolyn, we'd like to go back to you for this question. Yeah, as I mentioned before, I think this is a big transition because it seems a lot more permanent. The transition from resident to first job can be such a difference. For me, on top of the change in position, I was also moving halfway across the country. I'm originally from Kansas, did residency in Kentucky, and then accepted a job in South Carolina. First things first, you should really take some time off to celebrate. You've either just finished residency, which was a really stressful one to two years, or you just finished pharmacy school. So take some time and really celebrate. This may be one of the only times in your career that you have some extended downtime. So take advantage and recharge. Second, then start working on some of those additional licensure requirements as early as possible. If you're moving from state to state, you may have to take another MPJE, You may have to schedule a visit to that board of pharmacy. So make sure you know those requirements sooner rather than later. If you're unfamiliar with the city, like I was, take some time to get to know the city and figure out where you want to live. It could be really helpful to talk to other folks that you interviewed with to get a feel for where other people in similar positions have started their household. 
once you start your job, and for me, this was the hardest part, take some time to just get to know your colleagues and your new role before taking on additional projects. When you're in residency or pharmacy school, you're used to this go, 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 start one project, get another project done, cross things off your list. But relationship building is a huge part of establishing yourself on a team. And oftentimes that's going to pay off tenfold later on. Next, take some time to revisit what is actually evidence-based versus what I call an ism of your previous institution. It's not uncommon to discover that there are a million ways to reach the same outcome. So learning some of the norms of your new institution may help you get used to your new role. Tyler, do you have anything to add? How was your transition? Yeah, I agree with a lot of things you pointed out there, Carolyn. I think that you really want to take some time off in between your transitions. You know, rather it's residency or pharmacy school, that's a really big accomplishment to take some time to recharge. You know, secondly, I think it's really important how you represent your experience. You know, as, as a resident coming to your first job, you know, if you say at my previous institution or at uh, X place of work, you know, that, that might be not, ta- that may not be as taken as well as if you said, you know, my experience on this is, or my experience on that is maybe a better way to present that. However, I do agree that you should also take a lot of time to understand the, the organization that you're transitioning to and maybe how things are done, because you might learn that there is a, is a different way to achieve the same outcome, or maybe the, the new organization does something that you might find that you like even better than your previous organization. So apart from, you know, transitioning, we want to collect uh, the panel's thoughts on what ASHP resources can help with these transitions. What are some recommended readings or resources for new practitioners? Uh, Claire, let's uh, go ahead and start with you for this question. So as Tyler previously mentioned, all of us here on this podcast are part of the New Practitioners Forum. And if you're not familiar with the New Practitioners Forum, you should definitely join. But one of the things that the New Practitioners Forum does is put out a lot of resources for new practitioners that are also great resources for students as well. Um, So the one thing I want to plug is uh, our website for New Practitioner Forum. So when I started in the forum, I was on our Career Development Advisory Work Group, otherwise known as CDAG. And then part of what this work group does is create resources for career development, as you can know from the name. But what this is, is it lots of resources for CVs, cover letters, anything, anything career development related. And these are some of my favorite resources because they look at, so for example, we have a CV transitions toolkit that looks at transitions from student to resident to new practitioner to how many years you are outside of your first job, et cetera, and looking at what things do we need to add or take away from our CV? What things do we need to consider for that? So I provide these resources to my students all the time, especially when they're looking at applying for residencies because they're very helpful. And then I also provide these to residents as well as they're going through these transitions. So this is just one example of the resources that the new practitioner forum has. And I invite you to check out the website to look at more, but we are very passionate about all of these resources that we put online and they're very useful. Kelly, I know you also have some ideas for great resources as well. Thanks, Claire. And actually, I gave my student today on rotation with me a copy of the CV Transitions Toolkit. So it's a well-utilized resource, and I would completely agree with you. The New Practitioners Forum has put together, as Claire alluded to, a plethora of resources to help you succeed. Here is a few that I would encourage that you check out. First, connect with a mentor to discuss job opportunities and how to leverage their professional network in your search. 
Uh, my mentor helped me to find myself in my residency training and helped to remove the fluff in my job search process. If you don't have a mentor, the ASHP Mentor Match is waiting for you to sign up. If you're finishing residency, grab the guide on transitioning from PGY-1 to PGY-2 or from residency to the workforce. If you've been in your first role and you're looking for something new, then check out the ASHP Career Transitions Resource Center for all of your needs. Practice your phone and video interview skills on interview stream and share them with your mentor for feedback. Ensure you are continually developing as well. If you're looking to pursue board certification, ASHP has BPS study guides and the ASHP Review and Recertification Reward Program, or RRRP. Maybe you're ready to be a peer-reviewed author with AGHP or a preceptor for students or residents. ASHP has all of those resources for you and more. The New Practitioners Forum is constantly developing tools for you to be successful during each of your transitions. And if we don't have something that you need, send your idea to newpractitioners at ashp.org, and maybe our members will help to develop that gap and tool for you in your future. Um, and as Claire talked about a lot, the website has a plethora of tools, many more than we talked about today. So spend some time browsing. Tyler, back to you. Thanks, Kelly and Claire. I, I definitely agree that no matter what point you are in your career, not just the New Practitioners Forum, ASHP has a lot of resources that can be provided. And the great thing about ASHP is if there isn't a resource that exists, they're always listening of ideas from their member to improve the overall resources available to all members. So we'll kind of uh, step away from the topic about talking about, you know, these different transitions and, and resources, and we'll, we'll focus more on when you're a new practitioner. So our next question is, how do I distinguish myself as a new practitioner? So, Carolyn, let's go back to you. Yeah, Tyler, I think this is a great question. And honestly, it's something that I'm still working at doing for myself. So a couple of things that I've done to help distinguish myself are to join and become involved in professional organizations and find your professional organization home. Figure out which organizations align most closely with your professional goals. So for me, I'm involved in ASHP, obviously. And I'm also involved in a multidisciplinary critical care organization. Both of those organizations fulfill different uh, professional needs for me. Another thing that you can do is take the board certification for your specialty area. This helps to distinguish you as an expert in that area. And it may carry some incentive for you at your different organization, like a bonus or moving up a career ladder. I also recommend that everyone sit on interdisciplinary committees at their organization because that can help to represent pharmacy within your institution. And lastly, figure out what your areas of interest are and publish in that area. Giving presentations is also another great way to distinguish yourself. Kelly, I know that you've done a really superb job of distinguishing yourself based on a couple of the promotions that you've already had thus far in your career. Do you have anything to add? Thanks, Carolyn, that was very sweet. And you put this very nicely. I think a lot of my advice is very similar to yours. My first and foremost, do not shy away from raising your hand for the right opportunity. When I was a pharmacy student, uh, I, I couldn't see at that time maybe what was the right pathway for me, but I knew what I was passionate about. And my mentors encouraged me to look at the PGY-12 Health System Pharmacy Administration residency with a master's degree, knowing that aligned really well with where I wanted to go, but not something I could see at that time. That definitely started me on the right pathway, 
But these same mentors then helped me to see that paired with my training, professional organization involvement would be the strong foundation in distinguishing myself from my peers throughout my career. Because I threw my name in the ring for a new practitioner's forum leadership role, I've been able to affect change at the national level with outstanding peers like the one on this podcast that I may not have otherwise met. They have challenged me to think differently and lead differently within my own practice. Additionally, professional organizations have opened the door to share the success and learnings of my day-to-day job through posters, podium presentations, and publications. The confidence built through my involvement in ASHP and my state affiliate chapter in Ohio created a drive to lead change at the local level, become a strong preceptor, and take on stretch opportunities for advancement. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Tyler, back to you. Thank you, Kelly and Carolyn. Uh, I think that you guys bring up some great topics in in that answer. And, you know, I think that really, I, I agree with Carolyn that as a new practitioner, I think you're still trying to find the way to best distinguish yourself. And I really think it, it, it culminates with a lot of the things that Carolyn and Kelly just talked about with, you know, finding your organ at your professional home and, and finding your niche, rather it's a specialty area or some sort of research, or maybe you're focused on an annual publication. But really, I think any any culmination of those can help you start to distinguish yourself. So before we close today, we have one more question, and we're going to be uh, switching to a different topic. And our next question is, how do I maintain well-being, resiliency, and work-life balance during transitions? So we'll go ahead and turn it back over to Megan to collect your thoughts. Thanks, Tyler, again, for this great question. I think this really resonates with a lot of new practitioners and especially the five of us on this phone call. One of the biggest things that I'm trying to work on personally is learning to say no. And I feel like I'm really trying to continue to grow in this area. When you're first starting, people typically offer really different opportunities and many are exciting and new and ones that you typically wanna jump into. Also, if you're graduating from residency, you're used to working those long hours, so it's easy to get into that or stay into that mindset as you start your new position. What I try to think about now are two key questions. So who is this coming from and does it need to be done? Or two, does this align with my short and long-term goals? In the book, Good to Great, they talk about the hedgehog concept, meaning that people with the best success really narrow their activities and focus on key areas where they want to succeed. So for opportunities that don't meet this criteria, I try to respectfully decline and thank the person for the opportunity, but then recommend someone else who may be a better fit and it aligns better with their goals so that I can keep my clear goals in line. The other thing to remember is, again, when we talk about, I don't want to say work-life balance, but more of the work-life integration. My husband and I actually try to practice mindfulness. This really focuses not only on building our relationship, but then trying to stay healthy emotionally. Um, So we try to meditate. We've been using the Headspace app that ASHP actually just recently offered. Um, And then we use a yoga practice. So this is a great exercise, but then helps us from laying calm throughout the day and really has helped with our relationship and keeps us together during part of the day. Carolyn, I know you've really incorporated some great strategies to help with this well-being and resiliency. Do you have anything to add? Yeah, thanks, Megan. I wouldn't say that uh, I'm an expert at this either, but definitely constantly working to improve in this area. One of the things that I always recommend is knowing who your support system is. It's always important to keep things really professional at work. But it's also important to have someone that's in a similar position that you may be able to vent to every once in a while. 
Claire mentioned this earlier as well. I've always tried to make sure that I have an outlet to help with that work-life balance. So in the past, they've always been a part of sports team that gives me a reason to leave work at a certain time. That looks a little bit different right now, given the current viral pandemic. I used to go to a lot of workout classes, play on sports teams, but I've, so I've had to modify that, but exercise has still been my outlet. It's really hard to do something like throwing a med ball on the ground or doing some sort of hit class or running while you're trying to think about anything from work. So it's a really great way for me to clear my head. And then Megan alluded to this earlier, learning to say no. This can be really hard to do as a new practitioner. So I like the way that Kelly uh, put this earlier. It's learning to say yes to the right opportunities. So you have to know your limits and you have to be able to select projects and tasks that align most closely with your career goals. So before saying yes to any opportunity, take a moment to make sure that it's the right opportunity and that'll help prevent any sort of work overload. Tyler, do you have any additional thoughts on work-life balance? I think you both uh, brought up a lot of great points. I think the biggest thing um, that I can bring to the table is just to continuing to do a plate evaluation of what's on your plate what you have going on, what you're saying yes to, what you're saying no to, and to continually evaluate that um, to understand, you know, what your own personal capacity is. Uh, Megan and Carolyn, I think you both provided great answers to that question, and uh, thank you. So that's all we have time for today. I want to thank Carolyn, Claire, Kelly, and Megan for joining us today to discuss career advice when transitioning from student to new practitioner. Join us here at ASHP Official and the Practice Journey podcast as we learn about how our members seek out, grow, and evolve during our careers. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHB Official.